You are listening to 100 Wealth Building Secrets with James Marshall. James Marshall is a registered investment advisor and president of Marshall Wealth Management. His registered investment advisory firm is registered in Texas and Kentucky. For 30 years, he has been educating, advising, and managing wealth for diverse families all over the country. This podcast is about different concepts of wealth building, some financial, some emotional, physical, and yes, some spiritual. The bottom line is you will leave with some knowledge and knowledge is wealth. So whether you're walking, running, exercising, or having your choice of beverages, no judgments here, clear, then open your mind and get ready for some life-changing financial lessons. It's your time. Here is your host, James Marshall. Get ready for Welcome, Wealth Builders, to podcast number 58. Be proactive with your health care and protection. Preventive maintenance saves you money. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. When Ben Franklin coined this phrase, he was reminding the citizens of Philadelphia that you must remain vigilant about fire prevention. Not to wait until the fire is here to act, but work diligently to prevent the fire from occurring in the first place. You know, being proactive in regards to your wealth building efforts requires this same mindset. You have heard me speak on emergency cash reserves and the need for proper insurance coverage countless of times. But today, I want to remind you that health is wealth. Without good health, it is very difficult to focus on wealth building strategies. Without good health, it is possible that you will have a lot of unnecessary healthcare expenses. These expenses can, he- can keep you from accumulating wealth or require you to liquidate your wealth building accounts to pay for these healthcare expenses. And there is no better way to maintain or improve your health than the practice of preventive maintenance. So since I'm not a doctor, I have invited one to come on the show today and talk about some steps you should consider taking to improve your healthcare management. Dr. Gary Shepard earned his medical degree at the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston and completed his residency at the University of Texas Health Science Center in Houston, UT Health. Board certified in internal medicine, Dr. Shepard has practiced in Southwest Houston since 1993. His clinical interests include hypertension, diabetes, and preventive medicine. Preventive medicine. He has served as chief of staff of Memorial Hermann Southwest Hospital and chair of the Harris County Medical Society Board of Ethics. Dr. Shepard believes in preventive medicine through diet and exercise and early treatment to prevent complications, empowering his patients who are 18 and over. He helps you to improve their overall health. He recognizes that all patients are different and approaches them as as individuals, making decisions, treatments, and recommendations through advice-based medicine adjusted to individual problems and situations.
So please welcome to the show, Dr. Gary Shepard. All right, we are here with Dr. Gary Shepard, and this podcast is about preventive practices, whether it be health or wealth. Uh, I believe health is wealth, but what do you do to prevent complications in your health and complications in your wealth? So you're on because I made a lot of references to healthcare as being a very key part of, of your overall wealth. If you don't have a huge amount of health problems and health bills, then you might be in a better position to build some wealth. So that's why we brought on the expert, because I am not a doctor, nor that I pay, play one on TV. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. Like I said, I'll, I'll handle the medical part. I'll let you handle the, the money and the wealth part. And we won't cross each other's paths, so I think we'll, we'll do well. I'm glad to be here also. Well, I'm glad to have you here. But I want to start out, but just kind of uh, get an idea from you. What are your, your kind of top three best hits, your top three bits of advice you can give a person when dealing with preventive medicine strategies? I think the first one would be um, have a primary doctor and visit that primary doctor on an annual basis. Um, it's better to pick things up early instead of having something happen and then having to react to it. So having that established doctor that you can check with, that you can you know, bounce questions off would be, I would think, the top number one. Number two, screenings, uh, making sure you get your health screenings because the science has shown time and time again, they make a difference. So making sure you get the screenings uh, that are appropriate for your age and for your gender, that helps. Uh, so making sure you get that. Number three, the best preventative thing is don't ignore your signs that you may be having a problem. A lot of people sort of convince themselves, oh, this isn't that bad. I can just ignore this when it's actually something a lot worse. So I think that would be number three is uh, don't ignore signs. So in other words, listen to your body. Correct. And going back to the screening part, you know, I, I, I'm 60 now, so I'm often wondering what type of diagnostic test I should be taking other than, of course, my uh, colonoscopy, which I do every five years. But what are some of the more general or uh, effective diagnostic tests I can take now or anyone age 50 to 60 might should uh, be doing now? I'll hit actually uh, sort of the uh, top three uh, when it comes to, say, cancer screening, which is one of the things that we talk about. First is a colonoscopy, as you mentioned, and the new recommendation is that that actually starts at age 45. Uh, so it used to be 50, but in the last uh, four to five years, it's actually dropped down to 45. So and insurance is now covering it, and they're not giving us trouble like they did before. Mm. So uh, it's covered starting at age 45, um, and that's for both men and women. Uh, when it comes to women, making sure you start your mammograms. Uh, now, uh, what we call ACOG is American College of Obstetrician and Gynecologists. They make some rules as for as when they should start and stop. And the American Cancer Association also has some. They don't always agree, but they're close. So usually for mammograms, it would start at age 40, uh, depending on when they find things. Um, and it goes up to probably age 75 to 80. That's where the there's a little bit of a disagreement, but at least to 75. So you should have uh, mammograms done. So those are the diagnostic tests. A couple other things that aren't quite diagnostic tests for men, prostate screening. Uh, for African-American men, that starts at age 40. Uh, for all others, it starts at age 50. And then also for women is uh, their pap smears, which should start 
at age probably 18 to 20 uh, or earlier if you're sexually active. So uh, that gives you some idea of some of the uh, screenings that we can use. And these are ones that we've uh, shown time and time again that they cause a decrease in our cancer rates. Uh, and we've seen that over the years. For our African-American patients, we know that uh, for uh, breast cancer, although the incidence is maybe a little lower, the cancers are more aggressive. And the same thing for prostate cancer for men. And that's why we start earlier because African-American men tend to have uh, more aggressive cancers and earlier. And it actually is one of the reasons why they dropped the age from 50 to 45 for colon across the board, because they realized they were missing a lot of people between age 45 and 50. They were thinking, well, it's not time for my screening, so this can't be a colon cancer. And they were having colon cancers. So that's why they ended up dropping that uh, age, because they saw that, no, this is different. Uh, we actually need to uh, change that. So I think those are some of the big, when we talk about just strictly cancer screening, I think those are some of the uh, big ones that we have. There are some others that we have screening for. And unfortunately, there's some that we do not have. Well, I know that when I speak with my clients, I try to do a financial checkup with them once a year to review their overall financial plan. And then maybe another meeting where we'll just look at their investment portfolio. How often should a person meet with their doctor? And in that meeting, should those type of diagnostic tests or check or uh points that you brought up come up automatically or do you need to ask for them? Usually if you're, that's what I was saying, you know, making sure you have a primary doctor and it's somebody you can actually go to once a year, even if you feel healthy, you know, go in, check in. And that's where we sort of go over the different uh, screenings that are needed for your age, any other risk factors that you may have, because things change. So if I have a person who is a smoker and a longtime smoker and I can't get them off, or if they stop smoking, and, uh, but they smoke for 10 plus years, there may be another screening I have to do for them. Uh, if they have a different family history of certain cancers or certain other illnesses, there's things I may have to do for them. So that's why if you have a primary doctor that can actually go over those things with you, then uh, that's why you're sort of ahead of the curve. And that's why uh, I would say that you would want to talk to them about it. They're usually going to ask, but if they don't, you know, that's something that you can bring up. Is that, oh, I had a family history, a person in my family uh, had colon cancer and it was my brother and they had it at age uh, 45. Do I have to change anything? And that would be a change. Mm -hmm. So like I said, making sure they know your history uh, and actually talking to your family about history. It's one of the things that we miss out a lot, lot because people don't talk about things. When things happen in your uh, family, you don't always know. Uh, well, they died of something. Well, do you know what it was? No, they wouldn't talk about it. So making sure you actually get that history because it can affect you, can affect your children, your siblings. Knowing what happened actually gives us a better idea of this is what you need to do because of this happening. And it's not just about cancer. It's a number of different things. But that's all the things that you go over with your primary doctor on an annual basis? Did something happen different in your family over the past year? Yeah, you know, somebody did have this, or they had that, or they developed this. So asking those things on a yearly basis. Uh, it's funny, uh, I have patients who say, you ask this every year. So there's a reason why we go over this every year, because it actually can change how we look at things and what we do for you to make sure we catch things early instead of late. And of course, I want to talk about Dr. Google. Because everyone uh, is uh, retaining this guy. 
and they are his go their go to person and have have them taking vitamins and and all types of smoothies and juicing that they feel keep them from having to see the doctor once a year. Now, question is, vitamins, are they helpful or are they mostly marketing? Yes and yes. Okay. <laughs> so um, some vitamins can be helpful depending on your diet. The best way to get uh, the vitamins that we need actually is to eat correctly. Okay. Unfortunately, most of us don't do that. We're trying to, oh, I got to lose weight or I've got to get in this before in two months, I've got to get in this smaller uh, dress or this smaller suit that I know I can't get into, but I'm going to try. So I'm going to go on these fad diets, which are really bad for people. Um, But uh, so a lot of people are missing out on their vitamins or people, well, I don't like this or I can't eat this or, you know, so a lot of times they're missing out on vitamins. So usually what people end up having to do is get a simple multivitamin. You don't have to get the A and then the B and the C and the D and the E um, and you know all these differences. If you get a multivitamin, if you know that you're not eating well, then that usually suffices because most of the general multivitamins have what we need. But the best way to get that is to actually eat right, which is easier said than done. I understand, you know, it's hard to when you have a 12 hour work day because, you know, you had to work over or something and you have to come home, try and fix meals, uh, that can be difficult. But if you are able to actually have balanced meals where you have your fruits, your vegetables, your grains, yeah, you have protein, a number of different sources, you have those meals spread out uh, at, at least three meals a day. Uh, some people eat smaller meals so they can eat less uh, and cut back on their calories if they're working on their weight. But uh, Sort of, uh, sort of funny, but what your mother told you to do, that's actually <laughs> good advice, right? <laughs> we don't have to admit that to them, <laughs> but um, that because they, well, you know, you've got to eat your vegetables. You need to eat your fruit. Here, take this piece of uh, uh, apple, take this apple, take this banana. Uh, you need to eat some uh, berries here. You know, all the things that they told us to eat. Yes, you got to eat your greens. Yes, you got to eat your beans. Um, that actually is where we get our nutrition from. That's the best way we can get it. Now, some people like want to uh, use a smoothie in order to put a lot of different vegetables in there together. That's okay every now and then. But there are some other things that you miss when you uh, actually do the smoothies that you can actually feel more uh, satiated or more satisfied when you're eating the actual vegetables. And everybody's not going to like every vegetable. But, you know, these days, you know, look and see how can I fix this a little bit different. Um, now, I, I, I don't always recommend Dr. Google, but YouTube can be helpful when um, you're looking for recipes or something different, okay? It's like, well, you know, I get tired of eating the same thing the same way all the time, okay? Look and see if you can find, you like a vegetable, but see if you can cook it differently, and that gives you some variety. So that, those are some of the things that we do about, uh, you know, looking at uh, vitamins. Uh, going back to uh, Dr. Google, uh, as you said, is that's uh, one of the things that most physicians these days, we have to have a sort of a separate section in a visit to talk about what they saw on <laughs> and actually tell them the truth. Uh, there are some things that are correct, but unfortunately, it doesn't uh, distinguish what's correct and what, well, they sort of talked about this, but it's actually not correct. Um, what we try and do in medicine is we try and go on the science. Uh, is this proven? Have they done studies? 
uh, have those studies been looked at by, you know, groups of experts to say, yes, this actually is correct versus, well, they did one study, but nobody agreed that that was a good study. Mm-hmm. So that's why sometimes they can say, well, there's a study about it. Yeah, there's one study that wasn't well, well reviewed because it didn't have enough people. It didn't have enough variety of people. Uh, it didn't go out long enough. There's a number of different things. But all of those things we have to sort of look at. So when they are rec- uh, recommending something and say, well, there's a study that shows that until we see the study and see if it's a good study, then maybe that's not where you should be uh, putting a lot of your trust. And like I said, that's one of the things that because we do this every day, uh, whatever your special is, if you're a lawyer, you could actually go through uh, law books a lot easier than those of us who aren't lawyers. Uh, if you're a wealth management uh, advisor, you can look at the stock market a lot better than the rest of us can. Right, so right. That's what we do as physicians. We, we understand the studies. We know what is a good study. It's one of the things we were taught uh, and sort of uh, taught again and again and again in medical school is what makes a good study. And those are things that we can look at. So I can look at something quickly and say, yeah, this is a good study. It's not a good study. Uh, but other people don't because that's not what they do every day. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to another point. At what point do you realize that you need to make the transition from just a general practitioner to internal medicine? Which, what's the difference between the two? Well, you don't have a lot of general practitioners now. Um, so the more common thing would be a family practitioner. It's okay. similar. Uh, it's usually family practice or internal medicine. And we're trained differently. Uh, we both have three years of residency, so the same number of years. But they have a lot more broad uh, knowledge base. Uh, so they are uh, trained in adults, pedi- pediatrics. They do some minor surgeries. They do a lot more gynecology. Some of them actually do OB and deliver babies. And that's how their programs are designed to give them all that training in all those uh, different uh, areas. Whereas as an internist, because I don't do surgery, I don't do pediatrics, I don't do OB, I concentrate on adult medicine. So one of the things that a lot of people feel is that uh, for older patients who have a lot more complicated conditions, or for younger patients who have four and five things that all have to be juggled together. As an internist, that's what I am trained to do. You know, that's sort of like second nature for us. Also, we're trained as diagnosticians to actually diagnose things. Is that we're trained to say, okay, this is looks like this, but it could be this and this and this and this. So let's try and figure out how to uh, uh, decipher which one we're dealing with. And like I said, that in-depth, uh, complicated type of a person that's sort of how we're trained. And so that's sort of the difference between family practice and internal medicine. Well, now, in closing, if it was any bit of advice that you wanted to give our thousands of listeners as to what they might want to do tomorrow to improve their health, what might that be? That's a little difficult uh, question. Yeah. Thank you for asking that. Hey, that's what I'm here for, to throw you, throw you a curveball. <laughs> I think some of the things that we've already said, so having a doctor that you can go to when you're sick, also, when you're healthy, to make sure you stay that way, that you can go to, then you can talk about the issues that you have. Being able to go to your doctor and say, this is what I read. Can you explain this? Does it make sense? Should I be doing this? So having that uh, trust with your doctor. So if you have to do a to-do list, should be your number one thing to do. Other one 
making sure you get regular exercise, making sure you're eating better because all of us can work on that, making sure that you know your family history, uh, making sure that you are getting your screening, that you're getting your vaccinations when it's time. All of those things come into play. But like I said, just having that person that you can talk to, that you feel comfortable talking to, uh, and to be able to get advice from, that's what I'd say would be your number one thing. Yeah, the key thing I heard you say was trust. And that's what's yeah. important. Finding one that you feel comfortable with and that you trust and just holding on and hope that they don't get dropped off of your insurance plan. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's no changing insurance or something like that, which unfortunately happens these days. It yeah. does. Well, Greg, thank you so much for taking time out to talk with us today. I really appreciate it. Glad to be here. And hopefully uh, some of the things we discussed will help somebody because that's the main thing is helping others. Wow. Thank you so much, Dr. Shepard, for sharing that valuable information with us today. The biggest takeaway I got from our discussion is that you should not put off your annual checkups and physicals, just like you should not put off your annual financial checkups and your account reviews. Whether the market is up or down, you need to know where you stand and what action steps you need to consider taking to stay on track or get back on track towards your wealth building goals. Well, I hope I've said something that you can use today. And until next time, keep building wealth. You have been listening to 100 Wealth Building Secrets with James Marshall. Keep increasing your knowledge by going to marshallyourmoney.com and check out our educational videos, newsletters, and calculators. There you can also sign up for your free copy of his book, 100 Wealth Building Secrets. Like this podcast and follow it on podbean.com. You can also follow us on social media platforms, Facebook, Black Family Wealth, Twitter, James Marshall at Marshall Wealth, Instagram, Marshall Wealth, LinkedIn, James Marshall, and on YouTube, James Marshall Financial Educator. Email your questions or thoughts to james at marshallyourmoney.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, we build wealth one family at a time. I know you can. I teach you how to save. Don't waste your money, but bank your money. Don't spend your ends. I teach you how to save. Your bank account will be filling out with them dividends. I teach you how to save. Rule number one: if it ain't making money, you ain't making sense.